didn't uh, talk about in the announcements, and I'll just do it quickly here, but uh, there's an opportunity for a missions trip. Uh, uh, today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 3, and uh, one time a, a teacher was testing uh, the children in her Sunday school class to see if they understood the concept of getting to heaven. She asked them, if I sold my house, and my car, if I had a big garage sale and I gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, uh, mowed the yard, and I kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, they answered, no. Now she was smiling. They're really getting it, she thought. Well then, if I was kind to animals and I gave candy to all the children and I loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? And she asked, uh, again, the children answered, no. She was just bursting with pride for them. Well, then how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. <laughs> so, that's the first uh, prerequisite for eternal life. <laughs> but throughout history, um, people have sought the answers to eternal life. How do I, uh, what, first off, what is there uh, beyond um, life on earth here? What happens when we die? And most people uh, in, believe in some form of heaven and hell. And the bigger question that uh, we kind of deal with as uh, mankind, as humans, uh, is how do we attain it? What do we have to do to achieve whatever there is on the other side? How do you punch your ticket to heaven? And then there we have a lot of different ideas of what we must do. If you were to talk to all the different religions and uh, scholars that are out there, everybody has a different idea of uh, what it will be, uh, who will be welcome there, uh, how we uh, are able to go. And most of them would agree, and even people who we wouldn't claim to be uh, religious um, believe in whatever afterlife there would be that um, you would have to be a good person to get to heaven or to get to whatever it is beyond that. Most people would say, if you're good enough, you can make it. But who's good? And Whose standard are we having to live up to to make that? And we would probably, um, we would say that uh, most likely we would all agree that a serial killer um, or someone that's done, you know, on death row and has done the worst of evil in their life, well, they're probably not going to make, they're probably not good enough. And we might say, you know, the, the person who uh, has lived their life and the worst thing they've ever done is maybe uh, stole candy from a baby. And they would be good enough to make it to heaven, right? But somewhere in between there is where uh, all of us live. We all, uh, we go through life and we try to justify ourselves to be uh, good enough or uh, we, we justify others, because it's never us, right? That they're too bad to 
get to heaven. They've done too much evil or too much bad. Paul, in, in Romans chapter 3, um, is discussing this with those uh, in, in the audience that he's writing to in, in Rome, and it's for all of us today. Paul has uh, finished chapter 2 that we kind of studied two weeks ago, and he was saying that a person is a Jew who is one on the inside. And he talked about circumcision, uh, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. Not a person who is a Jew, and we could say in our day and age, a Christian, uh, by word only or by title or that they just claim that. Uh, Or a person isn't physically um, circumcised just by because they've had that physically done, but it's uh, those that are living out their beliefs. And he begins chapter 3 answering several objections that could have been made to his previous, the previous chapter. In this chapter, another interesting thing he does is uh, he writes two statements uh, that are in parentheses, and this doesn't happen a whole lot uh, in the Bible, um, but Paul is writing these things when um, it's kind of like his, you could say, this is his opinion, uh, this is his clarifying statements. So um, we can take those to understand uh, what, his, um, what he's trying to get at when he's making this, the previous statements that he's trying to clarify. Um, Jewish Christians had leveled a charge against Paul that his preaching about salvation by faith without works of the law amounted to a license for sin, okay? That you have to have, uh, you have to do uh, something, you have to do the works of the law in order to achieve uh, salvation or, or heaven. And uh, Paul is writing back to these objections. And so we start in uh, verse 1 of Romans 3, He says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the benefit of circumcision? And his answer is great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. After after establishing in the past couple chapters that, that Jews and Gentiles are on the same level, He answers uh, their first objection. Uh, You could say, kind of in my own words, the objection was, I thought Jews were set apart. I thought we were a chosen people. I thought we were God's favorite. Why are you now saying that we aren't, that we're all the same as these Gentiles? God and, um, and about circumcision, God instituted circumcision as a covenant sealing act. Is God going back on that now? And Paul emphatically answers them that the Jews are greatly privileged people and they're honored, but they still have to live right. And he points out that one of the reasons that proves uh, their privilege is that God spoke to them and God entrusted them with his law. 
Later on in chapters 9, uh, verse 4 and 5, uh, Paul gives a, an even longer list of all the privileges and honors that the, the Jewish people had from the Lord, such as adoption as uh, his sons, uh, glory, covenants, uh, giving of the law, uh, the temple services, uh, promises, uh, Christ ancestry that, uh, that Jesus Christ would come uh, as a descendant of the Jewish people and that God blessed them forever. So his next, ob- the, the next objection that he answers, verse 3, what then? If some Jews did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. This next objection says that uh, what if some unrighteous Jew, uh, whom he, those, those that he addressed in chapters 1 and 2, or an unbelieving Jew, does that person ruin it for the rest? Does he nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul again answers, no, God is faithful and true. God's word, his oracles, some of our uh, translations use, uh, that he gave to the Jews, they'll still be accomplished. God has a purpose and he has a plan and he won't allow uh, the unrighteousness of a man um, to disrupt that. And Paul quotes Psalm 51 verse 4 to say that despite our sinfulness, God is just and true to judge us. He is always righteous and holy in all that he does. The next objection, but verse 5, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. He puts the first parenthesis there. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms. And to make this, to understand this a little more, make it a little more readable, uh, you could translate to say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. If we were to uh, read this verse again, starting in verse 5, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Verse 6, may it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? God is able to judge the world because he's the only righteous one. And we will continue this thought through the next portion of scripture. Verse 7 kind of continues with an objection that's similar in what we just read. But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory... Why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, in his second parenthetical statement, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil, that good may come. Their condemnation is just. His second parenthetical statement 
is addressing rumors uh, that people have been trying to uh, discredit Paul and the, the rest of the church uh, apostles and um, those leaders in the church um, trying to discredit them. And this objection that they bring is a little silly um, or it's kind of dark. But uh, sometimes we are blinded by sin and, and we strive to justify ourselves. I kind of put it in a funny illustration this way. It's like saying... Um, I, I robbed a bank, and the police officer that, that caught me, he was awarded a, a medal. And man, he was the citizen of the year because he, he uh, uh, saved this bank. He caught me. So I go and I rob another bank. And the same officer catches me and, and is awarded again. Man, this guy is really good. Uh, this officer is uh, the, the best one out there. And so should I continue robbing stores and, and getting caught to make this officer look amazing and show how talented he is? No, that's silly, right? And it sounds ridiculous, but, but they're, they're trying to uh, interpret what Paul and the others uh, were teaching that uh, if I sin... Uh, Jesus is just going to uh, erase that sin and, and it'll show God's uh, righteousness uh, through my unrighteousness. So uh, the more I sin, and this is addressed in other um, uh, letters that Paul wrote, the more I sin, then the more grace that God shows me and the more grace he shows me uh, shows how awesome and how uh, powerful and gracious and righteous he is. So the more I sin, you know, the, uh, the more grace that abounds in God. No, no, no. So verse 9, the next objection. What, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. Before we read what was written, coming off of the statement against those who sin more so God's grace can abound more, Paul asks, are we Christians, are we Jews, are we better than them? No, because we're all under the guilt of sin, the power of sin. Matthew Henry uh, wrote a lot of uh, famous commentaries for the Bible, or one famous commentary of the entire Bible. And he made this statement about uh, the phrase, all under sin. We are all under sin as under a sentence. We're all under sin as under a bond by which we are bound over to eternal ruin. Under sin as under a burden that will sink them to the lowest hell. We are guilty before God. It is more than just sin. When we say, oh, I, I've sinned or, or I, I've done this sin or that person has sinned, we are under the power of of sin. We've already been charged. We've already been convicted. We've been proved guilty. 
in our sin. Our, we're under the power of sin. Paul now uh, lists convictions, and he takes these from several of the Psalms and Isaiah. And um, just an interesting note, this is probably the longest uh, portion of Scripture that uh, Paul will quote from the Old Testament. He takes verses here and there, but this is a longer section, and it's made up of several statements from uh, several different Psalms and a couple of them uh, in, in Isaiah. And they're all describing the depravity of our minds under the power of sin. He says, There is none righteous, not even one. We are born into sin. We are born unrighteous. It would be awesome uh, if we had babies and they were born good. And they were born to say yes and to follow everything we ask them to do, but it's quite the opposite. Uh, most of us, our first words uh, that we uttered was, no, no. <laughs> I don't know who taught my uh, youngest son, Levi. He's very polite, and he'll say, no, thank you. <laughs> well, it's time to go to bed. No, thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, you need to eat your dinner. No, thank you. <laughs> so at least it's, it's a little bit better, but it's still uh, rebellion, right? There's none, none of us are righteous. We're born into sin, and we can thank Adam and Eve for that. Paul implies that if there had been but one person righteous, God would have found him out, like he did with Noah. He found Noah to be uh, righteous, and he saved him from the flood. Verse 11, there is none who understands Sin corrupts our understanding. We are blinded. We're depraved and we're perverted in sin. Understanding comes when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul will tell us more about that in chapter 12. There is none who seeks for God. Our, our carnal mind, our sinful flesh, is so far from seeking after God that it is seemingly against him. Verse 12, all have turned aside and together they have become useless. In our, in our sinfulness, in our corrupt mind, not seeking the Lord but turning from him, we become unprofitable. We become of no good. There is none who does good. There is not even one. The result is that no one uh, who does, the result is no one does any good. He now describes the damage that sin does. The, in verses 13 and 14, uh, they, he talks about, uh, he, he quotes scriptures that uh, tell of how our words, our tongue, uh, the words that we utter are hurtful. Verse 13, he quotes, their throat is an open grave, meaning they're ready to swallow up like, uh, like the serpent waiting for an opportunity to devour. Goes, he goes on to say, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. 
and that it intimates that uh, they make a habit of lying and to trick other people. The poison of apps is under their lips, he goes on to say. The most venomous and incurable poison is that of the asps. And uh, the tongue is used to bring uh, reproach on others. James, uh, in the book of James, he talks about the power uh, that's in, in our tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The, again, in James chapter 3, he, uh, he lists this as one of the great sins of the tongue. Wishing evil on others, blaspheming God. Verses 15 through 17 uh, describe their hurtful ways. So we talked about the hurtful tongue. Now he talks about the hurtful ways that sin, what sin does. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood meaning they're very sly and they're uh, misleading others. And in so doing, they partner with what we're about to read in verse 16. Destruction and misery are in their paths, meaning wherever they go, uh, destruction and misery comes upon the land, comes upon the neighborhood, comes on the, the country, the, the people of God, and, and to themselves comes destruction Verse 17, and, and the path of peace they have not known. If destruction and misery are in their path, they cannot be on the path of peace. At Christmas time, I spoke on the only way to have peace on earth. We, we talk a lot about it at Christmas. The only way that we can have peace on earth was to have peace with God. They don't have uh, peace with others. They don't have peace with themselves. And verse 18 is, is, an, is a key verse in all of this. Kind of a, a summary of the root of the cause of sin. Excuse me. The root problem that causes the depravity of our mind. The summary of all these verses Verse 18, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Where no fear of God is, no good can be expected. Wicked and sinful people have no regard for God. Paul has talked about this earlier, that God is the righteous judge, and thus we should fear him. The fear of God in us should not drive us to cower from him uh, like, a, like an abused puppy, but it should drive us uh, to seek righteousness. Verses 19 through 20, it takes us to a courtroom where we are identified as the defendants. And God is both uh, the one offended and he's the judge of the offense. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, which would be the Jews, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world, that would be Gentiles, us, may become accountable to God. 
because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We are speechless in our defense because of our guilt. When we're standing uh, in that courtroom before God Almighty, right? We are, we are guilty and it renders us speechless. By attacking the thought of the Jews that their observance of the law will justify them, or for our case, our good deeds would justify us, Paul begins to teach what will justify us. Probably the most important part of uh, today's chapter. Verse 21, he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets means that throughout the Old Testament, Scripture points to the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' story is uh, mostly in the New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament, uh, it points to Jesus and his, uh, justifi- our justification through faith in him. And verse 23, uh, most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, uh, we may have memorized this verse uh, when we talk about um, uh, the salvation steps, uh, ABCs of salvation, the Roman road, whatever you might have learned it as. Um, we use Romans 3.23 uh, to, to explain to people that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The mark is set and the goal Uh, is the glory of God, and and none of us can attain it. We fall short in everything. Even the most perfect person in all of history cannot attain that. But how can it be done? We have come to the point where Paul has long listed the despair of sin and where where sin leaves us in and... um, you've made it through like, okay, now we all feel really terrible. And if you've ever uh, stolen candy from a baby, it's probably worse than like murdering uh, other people. No, just kidding. But we all feel, uh, we've talked through uh, the first 23 verses and feel like, man, Paul's just beating us down and we're all worthless. (laughs) And like, how do we ever stand before God? How can we uh, become righteous and it's through uh, faith in Jesus and he begins to explain that in verse 24 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus I don't know if you've heard uh, this little uh, quick saying but the word justified uh, meaning just as if I'd never sinned Jesus, God, made us justified. That when he, uh, he freely gives his grace and he freely gave uh, the gift, there's, um, he pays 
the penalty for us, just like what we just talked about in communion, that when he forgives us, it's just like we've never sinned. It's our, our eternal lives are redeemed because of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, whom, whom God displayed publicly. He's talking about Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and he would be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God in all his righteousness He gave Jesus to be hung on a cross before the sight of all who walked along that road. He gave him as a propitiation. It's a big word. It means uh, a sacrifice to atone for. Jesus was our substitute and his sacrifice was for us. That should have been us. Our sin uh, had, had built up in us and, and the wages of sin, the, the, the next uh, verse we would memorize in the salvation road is Romans 6.23. So Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. His grace uh, is free and it's a gift because Jesus uh, paid the penalty for our sin, the wage, the cost, the price that our sin uh, cost us. Jesus paid that. God's righteousness would see that the price had been paid and his judgment would pass over it. Not, no longer was sin uh, uh, kind of hanging there, uh, kind of lingering there, Man, when Jesus died on the cross, it wiped away the sin of all mankind. I hope you can see uh, the weight of this truth that no matter how good you are, it cannot atone uh, for how much you sin. I've been a good guy my whole life. (laughs) From my childhood, I helped my Sunday school teacher I memorized scripture. I, I earned merits in Royal Rangers class. It's kind of the Christian Boy Scouts, right? Even though we don't like to be called the Christian Boy Scouts. Um, I earned those merits for doing good things. I helped clean up the church on work days. I went with my youth pastor and uh, we would do dramas and skits and we would play uh, worship on different outreaches we would do in the communities. And, and I helped with VBS. I've, I've played on drum. I played the drums for worship teams. I've, I've been to uh, the slums of Venezuela on missions trips. I went to some of the worst parts of Haiti. Man, look how much I have good that I've done. And I could pile it up all right here and just show you how amazing and how much I have done. But still, on this side of the scale is all my sin. 
and God is uh, looking and he can't see, uh, he can't see my heart because of all the sin that's there. There's a, there's a price, there's a penalty for what I've done. And no amount of good cancels out the bad. There's no amount of money that you could give to uh, missions. There's no, no amount of uh, good things that you can buy for others, groceries for the poor family down there. There's, there's not enough good to overcome the price and the cost of sin. It's still not enough to use Paul's word, propitiate for my sin. My sin is so much more. The cost of sin is death. And Jesus took my place. In my sin, I, I should have been the one hanging on the cross there. But praise God, my faith in Jesus, my confession of that sin, my repentance and my commitment to follow him, I have been justified. And now it's as if I've never sinned. All the sin that's mounded up in my life is gone. And in my mind, I've, I've had this conversation this past week. Our minds, we can't erase that. I don't know, I don't know why. We can't forget what we've done. We hold ourselves uh, and condemn and convict ourselves for things that we've asked forgiveness for 20,000 times and we still hold that against ourselves and God no longer sees it. When he sees me, he doesn't see the sin because Jesus paid the price for my sin. It's gone. It's just like I have never sinned. James talks about how, well, our, our faith in Jesus is the reason that we do the good works. I don't do all of these things to propitiate or to cover or to pay the price for my sins. I do all of these things because what Jesus did in my life. And we have to tell others and we have to share that hope and that justification with others that they can be justified and they can have the righteousness of God in their life. I really hope you guys uh, can grasp that uh, concept today. We'll kind of read the rest of the uh, verses here, but I, I really just... I really want to hang out on this topic. When we get to Easter, man, it, the, the theme I've, I've preached on in the past and, and coming up our, our first Easter here, um, man, if we could really just get the, the, the point that that should have been us. And when we're in the courtroom and, and Satan is our accuser, he's our prosecutor, and he's telling God all the things that we've done, that we don't deserve heaven, and we, we don't. And he's prosecuting us, and, and God is there, and he's hearing all of the things that we've done. 
and when we're uh, the, when our our penalty is hell, man, Jesus steps in and says, "Wait, but oh man, he he asked forgiveness. He confessed his sins. I've justified him. He's no longer." Uh, those sins are no longer held against him. He's been forgiven. And, and God, man, God judges us as righteous. That's what Easter, that's what uh, his resurrection was about. There's life. Our God is alive. Our God is living. He loves you so much. We'll close uh, in prayer and and um, and and kind of think on these things. I just want to uh, read the rest of the chapters. Just four more four more verses. Excuse me. Paul writes, "Where then is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith." For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Earlier, one of the verses says we have knowledge of our sin through the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And all the the things in the Old Testament that, that they would refer to as the law, we we look at the first five books of the Bible. They should be uh, showing us how to live, but we don't have to, we don't earn our righteousness through them. Our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. And we establish the law through our faith in Him. Would you stand with me? It's a powerful uh, chapter. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. And I know we've taken communion this morning already. But man, if you could just uh, look on the inside, look at your heart. And if you haven't been justified, if you're still in sin and and fighting for righteousness. Maybe you've tried to do good, feeling like, man, I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to give to another missionary this month, and maybe God can atone for my sins. Maybe I, if I, I'm going to volunteer at the, at the food bank this week, and, you know, but that'll make up for what I did last week. You're going to be working yourself to death because it'll never be enough. Freedom from our sins come from righteousness and faith in Jesus. So as we close today, uh, we'll sing this song. And I would encourage you guys, if you want to come 
forward and, and pray with me. I'd love to pray uh, for you if this is your first time ever accepting Jesus into your life or if, if you've sinned uh, and feel like, man, I've, I asked Jesus a, a long time ago, but man, I've been trying on my own. There's no shame in uh, coming forward. We're not going to give you a microphone and make you start confessing all your sins to the congregation. Our goal today and our goal every Sunday and, and one of the missions of the church is, is freedom. And if we're constantly trying to work our way uh, to heaven, to, to be good enough to appease God, it's, we're, we're going to be working and we're going to be a slave to that. And God wants us to have freedom. So if you want to pray with me, please come forward. There's no, again, no shame, no condemnation because all of us have been there. All of us have sinned and we all fall short, but we've been justified through our faith in Jesus and God has made it as like we've never sinned. So sing uh, this song with us. Spend time, uh, spend these moments in prayer before we close today. Praise God. I love the message of his righteousness in us, his justification of us. Uh, the kids, like I talked about, we the kids have learned about water baptism in the past couple, I think it was two Sundays ago, a few Sundays ago anyway. Uh, we have a person that's come uh, to be baptized, talk to me about being uh, baptized in water with the kids learning about it. Uh, in the next couple, two or three weeks, we want to do a, uh, have a water baptism portion of our service. And so uh, if your kids have um, mentioned it to you when they learned about it, um, again, parents, grandparents, you're the um, spiritual leader of the house. You know them a lot better than I do. If they're ready for it, uh, we would love to, to baptize them in water. It's not uh, a, a requirement to be a member of the church. or um, uh, it's, a, it's a symbolic showing of what God is doing on the inside of in our, in our life and our commitment to follow him. So if you want to be baptized, if your kid uh, wants to be baptized, uh, I'd love to talk to you more about that. And um, we can discuss, you know, any more questions you may have about it. But uh, Heavenly Father, God, I just pray a blessing over your people. God, help us uh, to understand um, this concept of justification through faith and um, the salvation that we have through you, God. Help us each and every day. We want to live holy and righteous lives for you, God. Help us, God, the things that may uh, entangle us and the temptations that may come. God, help us to be strong to overcome them. Jesus, be with us every day. Holy Spirit, move in our life. God, we give ourselves to you. Go with us this week that we would be able to share our hope and our love for you to others. We just praise you, God, and we thank you for this day, for all you've done in our service this morning. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.